Section 14 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Chapter 14, 1641. Month 12, February 2. The Church of Dorchester being furnished with a very godly and able pastor, one Mr. Mather, and having invited to them one Mr. Burr, who had been a minister in England, and a very good report there for piety and learning, with intent to call him also to office, after he was received a member in their church, and had given good proofs of his gifts and godliness to the satisfaction of the church, they gave him a call to office, which he deferring to accept. In the meantime he delivered some points savoring of familism, wherein the church desiring satisfaction, and he not so free to give it as was meet, it was agreed that Mr. Mather and he should confer together, and so the church should be informed wherein the difference lay. Accordingly, Mr. Burr wrote his judgment in the points in difference, in such manner and terms, as from some of his propositions, there could be no other be gathered but that he was erroneous. But this was again so qualified in other parts as might admit of a charitable construction. Mr. Mather reports to the church the errors which might be collected without mentioning the qualification or acquainting Mr. Burr with it before. When this was published, Mr. Burr disclaimed the errors, and Mr. Mather maintained them from his writings, whereupon the church was divided, some joining with the one and some with the other, so as it grew to some heat and alienation, and many days were spent for reconciliation, but all in vain. In the end they agreed to call on help from other churches, so this day there was a meeting at Dorchester of the governor and another of the magistrates, and about ten of the elders of the neighboring churches, wherein four days were spent in opening the cause, in such offences as had fallen out in the prosecution, and in conclusion the magistrates and elders declared their judgment and advice in the case to this effect, that both sides had cause to be humbled for their failing, more particularly Mr. Burr for his doubtful and unsafe expressions, and backwardness to give clear satisfaction, etc., and Mr. Mather for his inconsideration, both in not acquainting Mr. Burr with his collections before he had published them to the church, and in not certifying the qualifications of those errors which were in his writings, for which they were advised to set a day apart for reconciliation. Upon this Mr. Mather and Mr. Burr took the blame of their failings upon themselves, and freely submitted to the judgment and advice given, to which the rest of the church yielded a silent assent, and God was much glorified in the close thereof, and Mr. Burr did again fully renounce those erroneous opinions of which he had been suspected, confessing that he was in the dark about these points till God, by occasion of this agitation, it cleared them to him, which he did with much meekness and many tears. Footnote. Burr, of good education and ability, gave promise of eminence, but died the year following this. In footnote. The Church of Boston was necessitated to build a new meeting-house, and a great difference arose about the place of situation, which had much troubled other churches on the like occasion but after some debate it was referred to a committee and was quietly determined it cost about one thousand pounds which was raised out of the weekly voluntary contribution without any noise or complaint when in some other churches which did it by way of rates there was much difficulty in compulsion by levies to raise a far less sum the general fear of want of foreign commodities now our money was gone and that things were like to go well in england set us on work to provide shipping of our own for which in mr peter footnote rev hugh peter being a man of a very public spirit and singular activity for all occasions, procured some to join for building a ship at Salem of three hundred tons, and the inhabitants of Boston, stirred up by his example, set upon the building another at Boston of a hundred fifty tons. 
The work was hard to accomplish for want of money, etc., but our shipwrights were content to take such pay as the country could make. And the shipwright at Salem, through want of care of his tackle, etc., occasioned the death of one baker, who was desired with five or six more to help hale up a piece of timber, which the rope breaking fell down upon them. The rest by special providence were saved. This baker, going forth in the morning very well, after he had prayed, told his wife he should see her no more, though he could not foresee any danger towards him. The court, having found by experience that it would not avail by any law to redress the excessive rates of laborers and workmen's wages, etc., for being restrained they would either remove to other places where they might have more, or else being able to live by planting and other employments of their own, they would not be hired at all. It was therefore referred to the several towns to set down rates among themselves. This took better effect, so that in a voluntary way, by the counsel and persuasion of the elders, an example of some who led the way, they were brought to more moderation than they could be by compulsion, but it held not long. Upon the great liberty which the king had left the parliament to in England, some of our friends there wrote to us advice to send over some to solicit for us in the parliament, giving us hope that we might obtain much, etc., but consulting about it we declined the motion for this consideration that if we should put ourselves under the protection of the parliament we must then be a subject to all such laws as they should make or at least such that they might impose upon us in which course though they should intend our good yet it might prove very prejudicial to us footnote jonathan trumbull revolutionary governor of connecticut noted this passage as characterized by the same independence of parliament that marked the men of his own time in footnote but upon this occasion the court of assistance being assembled and advising with some of the elders about some course to serve the providence of god and making use of a present opportunity of a ship of her own being ready bound for england it was thought fit to send some chosen men in her with commission to negotiate for us as occasion should be offered both in furthering the work of reformation of the churches there which was now like to be attempted and to satisfy our countrymen of the true cause why our engagements there have not been satisfied this year as they were wont to be in all former times since we were here planted, and also to seek out some way, by procuring cotton from the West Indies, or other means that might be lawful and not dishonorable to the gospel for our present supply of clothing, etc., for the country was like to afford enough for food, etc. The persons designed hereto were Mr. Peter, pastor of the Church of Salem, footnote, evidences abound of the great usefulness of Hugh Peter, who figures less in the dreary controversies than as a promoter of works of practical advantage. The reluctance of Salem to part with him can easily be understood. In footnote, Mr. Weld, the pastor of the church at Roxbury, and Mr. Hibbins of Boston. For this end, the governor and near all the rest of the magistrates and some of the elders wrote a letter to the church of Salem, acquainting them with our intentions, and desiring them to spare their pastor for that service. The governor also moved the church of Roxbury for Mr. Weld, whom, after some time of consideration, they freely yielded but when it was propounded to the church of salem mr endicott being a member thereof and having formerly opposed it did now again like in the church some reasons were there alleged as that officers should not be taken from their churches for civil occasions that the voyage would be long and dangerous that it would be reported that we were in such want as we had sent to england to beg relief which would be very dishonorable to religion and that we ought to trust god who had never failed us hitherto etc but the main reason indeed which was privately intimated was their fear lest he should be kept there or diverted to the west indies for mr humphrey intended to go with him who was already engaged that way by the lord's say etc 
and therefore it was feared that he should fall under strong temptations that way being once in england and mr humphrey discovered his intentions the more by falling foul upon mr endicott in the open assembly at salem for opposing this motion and with that bitterness as gave great offence and was like to have grown to a professed breach between them but being both godly and hearkening to seasonable counsel they were soon reconciled upon a free and public acknowledgment of such palings as had passed but the church not willing to let their pastor go nor yet to give a plain denial of the magistrate's request wrote an answer by way of excuse tendering some reasons of their unsatisfiedness about his going etc the agitation of this business was soon about the country whereby we perceived there would be sinister interpretations made of it and the ship being suddenly to depart we gave it over for that season month two april thirteenth a negro maid servant to mr stoughton of dorchester being well approved by diverse years experience for sound knowledge and true godliness was received into the church and baptized some agitation fell out between us in plymouth about siakunk some of our people finding it fit for plantations and thinking it out of our patent which plymouth men understanding forbade them and sent us to signify that it was within their grant and that we would therefore forbid ours to proceed but the planters having acquainted us with their title and offering to yield it to our jurisdiction and assuring us that it could not be in the plymouth patent we made answer to plymouth accordingly and encouraged our neighbors to go on so as diverse letters passing between us and they sending some to take possession for them at length we sent some to plymouth to see their patent who bringing us a copy of so much as concerned the thing in question though we were not fully satisfied thereby yet not being willing to strive for land we sat still there fell out much trouble about this time at Pascataquack. mr knowles had gathered a church of such as he could get men very raw for the most part etc afterwards there came amongst them one mr larkham who had been a minister at northam near barnstable in england a man not savouring the right way of church discipline but being a man of good parts and wealthy the people were soon taken with him and the greater part were forward to cast off mr knowles their pastor and to choose him for they were not willing nor able to maintain two officers so mr knowles gave place to him and he being thus chosen did soon discover himself he received into the church all that offered themselves though men notoriously scandalous and ignorant so they would promise amendment and fall into contention with the people and would take upon him to rule hall even the magistrates such as they were so as there soon grew sharp contention between him and mr knowles to whom the more religious still adhered whereupon they were divided into two churches mr knowles and his company excommunicated mr larkham and he again laid violent hands upon mr knowles in this heat it began to grow to a tumult some of their magistrates joined with mr larkham and assembled the company to fetch captain underhill another of their magistrates and their captain to the court and he also gathered some of the neighbors to defend himself and to see the peace kept so they marched forward towards mr larkham's one carrying a bible upon a staff for an ensign and mr knowles with them armed with a pistol when mr larkham and his company saw them thus provided they proceeded no further but sent to mr williams who is governor of those in the lower part of the river who came up with a company of armed men and beset mr knowles house where captain underhill then was and there they kept a guard upon them night and day and in the meantime they called the court and mr williams sitting as judge they found captain underhill and his company guilty of a riot and set great fines upon them and ordered him and some others to depart the plantation 
The cause of this eager prosecution of Captain Underhill was, because he had procured a good part of the inhabitants there to offer themselves again to the government of the Massachusetts, who being thus prosecuted, they sent a petition to us for aid. Footnote. Knowles, who in the smaller religious war bore as ensign a Bible upon a pole, was Hansard Knowles, several times mentioned heretofore, and later conspicuous in England. The reprobate and combative Underhill appears again. While Francis Williams had been appointed by Mason and Gorgias as governor at Portsmouth and Dover. Winthrop's portrayal of dissenters from the Massachusetts orthodoxy must be taken with some abatement. In footnote. The governor and council considered of their petition, and gave commission to Mr. Bradstreet, one of our magistrates, Mr. Peter and Mr. Dalton, two of our elders, to go thither and to endeavor to reconcile them, and if they could not effect that, then to acquire how things stood, and to certify us, etc., they went accordingly and found both sides to be in fault. At length they brought matters to a peaceable end. Mr. Larkin was released of his excommunication, Captain Underhill, and the rest from their censures, and by occasion of these agitations Mr. O'Knowles was discovered to be an unclean person, and to have solicited the chastity of two maids, his servants, and to have used filthy dalliance with them, which he acknowledged before the church there, and so was dismissed and removed from Pesca to Quack. The sin of his was the more notorious, because the fact, which was first discovered, was the same night after he had been exhorting the people by reasons and from scripture, to proceed against Captain Underhill for his adultery. And it is very observable how God gave up these two, and some others who had held with Mrs. Hutchinson, and crying down all evidence from sanctification, etc., to fall into these unclean courses, whereby themselves and their erroneous opinions were laid open to the world. Mr. Peter and Mr. Dalton, with one of Aquamenticus, went from Pascataquac with Mr. John Ward, who was to be entertained there for their minister, and though it be but six miles, yet they lost their way, and wandered two days and one night without food or fire in the snow and wet. But God heard their prayers, wherein they earnestly pressed him for the honor of his great name, and when they were even quite spent, he brought them to the seaside near the place they were to go to, blessed forever be his name. Not long before a godly maid of the church of Lynn, going in a deep snow from Meadford homeward, was lost, and some of her clothes found after among the rocks. One John Baker, a member of the church of Boston, removing from thence to Newbury for enlargement of his outward accommodations, being grown wealthy from nothing, grew there very disordered, fell into drunkenness and such violent contention with another brother, maintaining the same by lying and other evil courses, that the magistrates sent to have him apprehended. But he rescued himself out of the officer's hands and removed to Acomenticus, where he continued near two years, and now at this time he came to Boston, and humbled himself before the church, confessing all his wickedness with many tears and showing how he had been followed with Satan, and how he had labored to pacify his conscience by secret confession to God, etc., but could have no peace, yet could not bring his heart to return and make public acknowledgment, until the hand of God fell upon one swain his neighbor, who fell into despair, and would often utter dreadful speeches against himself, and cry out that he was all on fire under the wrath of God, would never discover any other heinous sin, but that, having gotten about forty pounds by his labor, he went into England, and there spent it in wicked company, and so continued, and after a small time hanged himself. This baker coming in, and seeing him thus dead, was so struck with it as he could have no rest till he came and made the peace with the church and court. Upon his confession the church was doubtful whether they ought not to cast him out, his offenses being so scandalous, notwithstanding they were well persuaded of the truth of his repentance, 
But the judgment of the church was that seeing he had excommunicated himself by deserting the church, and Christ had ratified it by giving him up to Satan, whereby the ordinance had had its proper effect, therefore he ought now to be received in pardon whereto the church agreed. Yet this man fell into gross distemper soon after. Mr. Cotton, out of that in Revelations 15, none could enter into the temple until, etc., delivered, that neither Jews nor any more of the Gentiles should be called until Antichrist were destroyed, fees to a church estate, though here and there a proselyte. Upon the Lord's day at Concord, two children were left at home alone, one lying in a cradle, the other having burned a cloth, and fearing its mother should see it, thrusted it into a haystack by the door, the fire not quite being out, whereby the hay and house were burned, and the child in the cradle before they came from the meeting. About the same time, two houses were burned at Sudbury. By occasion of these fires, I may add another of a different kind, but of much observation. A godly woman of the Church of Boston, dwelling sometimes in London, brought with her a parcel of very fine linen of great value, which she set her heart too much upon, and had been at charge to have it all newly washed and curiously folded and pressed, and so left it in press in her parlor overnight. She had a negro maid, went into the room very late, and let fall some snuff of the candle upon the linen, so as by the morning all the linen was burned to a tinder, and the boards underneath, and some stools and a part of the wainscot burned and never perceived by any in the house, though some lodged in the chamber overhead, and no ceiling between. But it pleased God that the loss of this linen did her much good, both in taking off her heart from worldly comforts, and in preparing her for a far greater affliction by the untimely death of her husband, who was slain not long after at Isle of Providence. Month 4, June 2. The Court of Elections, Richard Bellingham Esquire, chosen governor. See more a few leaves after. This year the two ships were finished, one at Salem of 300 tons, and another at Boston of 160 tons. The Parliament of England, setting upon a general reformation both of church and state, the Earl of Strafford being beheaded, and the Archbishop, footnote, loud, end footnote, our great enemy, and many others of the great officers and judges, bishops and others, imprisoned and called to account, this caused all men to stay in England in expectation of a new world, so as few coming to us, all foreign commodities grew scarce, and our own of no price. Corn would buy nothing, a cow which cost last year twenty pounds might now be bought for four or five pounds, etc., and many gone out of the country, so as no man could pay his debts, nor the merchants make return into England for their commodities, which occasioned many there to speak evil of us. These straits set our people on work to provide fish, clapboards, plank, etc., and to sow hemp and flax, which prospered very well, and to look out to the West Indies for a trade for cotton. The general court also made orders about payment of debts, setting corn at the wanted price, and payable for all debts which should arise after a time prefixed. They thought fit also to send some chosen men into England to congratulate the happy success there and to satisfy our creditors of the true cause why we would not make so current payment now as in former years we had done, and to be ready to make use of any opportunity God should offer for the good of the country here, as also to give any advice as it should be required, for the settling the right form of church discipline there, but with this caution, that they should not seek supply of our wants in any dishonorable way, as by begging or the like, for we were resolved to wait upon the Lord in the use of all means which were lawful and honorable. The men chosen were Mr. Hugh Peter, pastor of the church in Salem, Mr. Thomas Weld, pastor of the church at Roxbury, and Mr. William Hibbins of Boston. Footnote. Here we take farewell of Hugh Peter. Thomas Weld acted in England with the Presbyterians, becoming estranged from independency on account of its tolerance.
His connection with Winthrop's short story of the Hutchinsonian troubles has been noted before. In footnote, there being no ship which was to return right for England, they went to Newfoundland, intending to get a passage from thence in the fishing fleet. They departed hence the third of the sixth month, and with them went one of the magistrates, Mr. John Winthrop, Jr. This act of the court did not satisfy all the elders, and many others disliked it, supposing that it would be conceived we had sent them on begging. And the church of Salem was unwillingly drawn to give leave to their pastor to go, for the court was not minded to use their power in taking an officer from the church without their consent, but in the end they and the other churches submitted to the desire of the court. These with other passengers to the number of forty went to Newfoundland, expecting to go from thence in some fishing ships. They arrived there in fourteen days, but could not go altogether, so were forced to divide themselves and go from several parts of the island as they could get shipping. The ministers preached to the seamen, etc., at the island, who were much affected with the word taught, and entertained them with all courtesy, as we understood by letters from them which came by a fishing ship to the Isles of Shoals about the beginning of October. 21st. A young man, a tanner in Boston, going to wash himself in a creek, said jestingly, I will go and drown myself now, which fell out accordingly, for by the slipperiness of the earth he was carried beyond his depth, and having no skill to swim, was drowned, though company were at hand, and one in the water with him. Letters came from the governor, etc., of Connecticut, for advice about the difference between them and the Dutch. The Dutch governor had pressed them hard for his interest in all Hartford, etc., as far as one might see from their house, alleging he had purchased so much of the Pequods, and threatened force of arms. They of the river alleged their purchase of other Indians, the true owners of the place, etc., with other arguments from our patent and that of Saybrook. We returned answer without determining of either side, but advising to a moderate way, as he yielding some more land to the Dutch house, for they had left them but thirty acres. But the Dutch would not be thus pacified, but prepared to send soldiers to be billeted at their house. But it pleased the Lord to disappoint their purpose, for the Indians falling out with them killed four of their men at their Fort Orange, footnote, now Albany, in footnote, whereof three were English, who had gone to dwell among them, whereby they were forced to keep their soldiers at home to defend themselves, and Mr. Peter going for England, and being well acquainted with the chief merchants in Holland, undertook to pacify the West India Company, but for want of commission from those of Hartford, the company there would not treat with him. About this time three boys of Summers Islands, footnote, the Summer, or Somers Islands, were the Bermudas, in footnote, stole away in an open boat or skiff, and having been eight weeks at sea, their boat was cast away upon a strand without Long Island, and themselves were saved by the Indians. A church being gathered at Providence in the West Indies, and their pastor, Mr. Sherwood, and another minister being sent prisoners into England by one Carter, the deputy governor, the rest of the church, being but five, wrote to our churches complaining of the persecution of the magistrates and others, and desiring our prayers and help from us, which moved the churches and magistrates more willingly to further those who were already resolved in preparing for the island. Whereupon two small vessels, each of about thirty tons, with diverse families and goods, so many as they could bestow, thirty men, five women, and eight children, set sail for the island, and touching at Christopher's, they heard that a great fleet of Spanish ships was abroad, and that it was feared that they had taken providence, so as the master, Mr. Pierce, a godly man and most expert mariner, advised them to return, and offered to bear part of the loss. But they not hearkening to him, he replied, Then I am a dead man. And coming to the island, they marveled they saw no colors upon the fort, nor any boat coming towards them, whereupon he was counseled to drop an anchor. He liked the advice, but yet stood on into the harbor, 
and after a second advice he went still on. But being come within pistol shot of one fort inhaling, and no answer made, he put his bark a stays, and being upon the deck, which was also full of passengers, women, and children, and hearing one cry out, there traversing a piece at us, he threw himself at the door of the cuddy, and one Samuel Wakeman, a member of the church of Hartford, who was sent with goods to buy cotton, cast himself down by him, and presently a great shot took them both. Mr. Pierce, footnote, apparently William Pierce, earlier master of the lion, the boldest and most trusted of the sea captains who at that time frequented the New England harbors, in footnote, died within an hour, the other, having only his thighs tore, lived ten days. Mr. Pierce had read to the company that morning, as it fell in course, that in Genesis the last, lo, I die, but God will surely visit you and bring you back, out of which words he used godly exhortations to them. Then they shot from all parts about thirty great shot, besides small, and tore the snails and shrouds, but hurt not the bark, nor any person more in it. The other vessel was then a league behind, which was marveled at, for she was the better sailor, and could fetch up the other at pleasure, but that morning they could not by any means keep company with her. After this the passengers, being ashamed to return, would have been set on shore at Cape Grace de Dios, or Florida, or Virginia, but the seamen would not, and through the wonderful providence of God they came all safe home, the third of seven burr following. This brought some of them to see their error, and acknowledge it in the open congregation, but others were hardened. There was a special providence in that the ministers were sent prisoners into England before the island was taken, for otherwise it is most probable they had all been put to the sword, because some Spaniards had been slain there a little before by the deputy governor his command, after the lieutenant had received them upon quarter, in an attempt that they had made upon the island, wherein they were repulsed with the loss of two or three hundred men. They took it after, and gave the people quarter, and sent them home. A like providence there was, though not so safe, in that diverse godly people, in their voyage to the island the year before, were taken prisoners by the Turks, and so their lives saved, paying their ransom. This year diverse families in Lynn and Ipswich, having sent to view Long Island, and finding a very commodious place for plantations, but challenged by the Dutch, they treated with the Dutch governor to take it from them. He offered them very fair terms, as they should have the very same liberties, both civil and ecclesiastical, which they enjoyed in the Massachusetts, only liberty for appeal to the Dutch, and after ten years to pay the tenth of their corn. The court was offended at this, and sought to stay them, not for going from us, but for strengthening the Dutch, our doubtful neighbors, and taking that from them which our king challenged and had granted a patent of, with Martha's vineyard and other islands thereby, to the Earl of Stirling, especially for binding themselves by an oath of fealty, whereupon diverse of the chief being called before the general court in Aper, the reasons laid down to dissuade them they were convinced, and promised to desist. This summer the merchants of Boston set out a vessel again to the Isle of Sable with twelve men to stay there a year. They sent again in the eighth month, and in three weeks the vessel returned and brought home four hundred pair of seahorse teeth, which were esteemed worth three hundred pounds, and left all the men well, and twelve ton of oil and many skins, which they could not bring away, being put from the island in a storm. I must here return to supply what was omitted concerning the proceedings of the last court of elections. There had been much laboring to have Mr. Bellingham chosen, and when the votes were numbered he had six more than the others. But there were diverse who had not given in their votes, who now came into the court and desired their liberty, which was denied by some of the magistrates, because they had not given them in at the doors. But others thought it was an injury, yet were silent, because it concerned themselves. For the order of giving in their votes at the door was no order of court, but only direction of some of the magistrates, and without question, 
Vinny Freeman tender his vote before the election be passed and published, not to be received. Some of the freemen, without the consent of the magistrates or governor, had chosen Mr. Nathaniel Ward, footnote, Nathaniel Ward, author of The Simple Cobbler of Agawam, and credited with the main work in compiling the Body of Liberties, was the raciest and most entertaining, if the narrowest and most intolerant, of the writers and speakers of New England. Naturally, the freemen desired much to hear him, and his counsels as to political and constitutional matters made impression. In footnote, to preach at this court, pretending that it was a part of their liberty. The governor, whose right indeed it is, for till the court be assembled, the free men are but private persons, would not strive about it, for though it did not belong to them, yet if they would have it, there was reason to yield it to them. Yet they had no great reason to choose him, though otherwise very able, seeing he had cast off his pastor's place at Ipswich, and was now no minister by the received determination of our churches. In his sermon he delivered many useful things, but in a moral and political discourse, grounding his propositions much upon the old Roman and Grecian governments, which sure is an error, for if religion and the word of God makes men wiser than their neighbors, and these times have the advantage of all that have gone before us in experience and observation, it is probable that by all these helps we may better frame rules of government for ourselves than to receive others upon the bare authority of the wisdom, justice, etc., of those heathen commonwealths. Among other things, he advised the people to keep all their magistrates in an equal rank, and not give more honor or power to one than to another, which is easier to advise than to prove, seeing it is against the practice of Israel, where some were rulers of thousands, but some but of tens, and of all the nations known or recorded. Another advice he gave, that magistrates should not give private advice, and take knowledge of any man's cause before it came to public hearing. This was debated after in the general court, where some of the deputies moved to have it ordered. But it was opposed by some of the magistrates upon these reasons. 1. Because we must then provide lawyers to direct men in their causes. 2. The magistrates must not grant out original process, as now they do, for to what end are they betrusted with this, but that they should take notice of the cause of the action, that they might either divert the suit, if the cause be unjust, or direct it in a right course if it be good. By this occasion the magistrate hath opportunity to end many differences in a friendly way without charge to the parties or trouble to the court. Fourth, it prevents many difficulties and tediousness to the court to understand the cause aright, no advocate being allowed and the parties being not able, for the most part, to open the cause fully and clearly, especially in public. Fifth, it is allowed in criminal causes, and why not in civil? Sixth, whereas it is objected that such magistrate is in danger to be prejudiced, Answer, if the thing be lawful and useful, it must not be laid aside for the temptations which are incident to it, for in the least duties men are exposed to great temptations. At this court it was ordered that the elders should be desired to agree upon a form of catechism which might be put forth in print. Offense being taken by many of the people that the court had given Mr. Humphrey 250 pounds, the deputies moved it might be ordered that the court should not have power to grant any benevolences, but it was considered that the court could not deprive itself of its honor, and that hereby we should lay a blemish upon the court, which might do more hurt to the country by weakening the reputation of the wisdom and faithfulness of the court and the hearts of the people, than the money saved would recompense. Therefore it was thought better to order it by way of declaration, as it were to deter importunity of suitors in this kind, that the court would give no more benevolences till our debts were paid, and stock in the treasury, except upon foreign occasions, etc., there arose a question in the court about the punishment of single fornication, because, by the law of God, the man was only to marry the maid, or pay a sum of money to her father, 
but the case falling out between two servants they were whipped for the wrong offered to the master in abusing his house and were not able to make him other satisfaction the like difficulty arose about a rape which was not death by the law of god but because it was committed by a boy upon a child of seven or eight years old he was severely whipped yet it may be seen by the equity of the law against sodomy that it should be death for a man to have carnal copulation with a girl so young as there can be no possibility of generation for it is against nature as well as sodomy and buggery at this court the gentleman who had the two patents of dover and strawberry bank at pascataquack in the name of the lords and themselves granted all their interest of jurisdiction etc to our court reserving the most of the land to themselves footnote lord sandbrook and their associates gave up to massachusetts the rights of jurisdiction under the hilton and squamsot patents in footnote or upon a commission was granted to mr bradstreet and mr simons footnote simon bradstreet and samuel simons younger men now coming forward into prominent position at a later time reached the highest positions as governor and deputy governor in footnote with two or three of pascataquack to call a court there and assemble the people to take their submission etc but mr humphrey mr peter and mr dalton had been sent before to understand the minds of the people to reconcile some differences between them and to prepare them see more mrs hutchinson and those of aquaday island broached new heresies every year diverse of them turned professed anabaptists and would not wear any arms and denied all magistracy among christians and maintained that there were no churches since those founded by the apostles and evangelists nor could any be nor any pastors ordained nor seals administered but by such and the church was to want these all the time she continued in the wilderness as yet she was her son francis and her son-in-law mr collins who was driven from barbados where he preached a time and done some good but so soon as he came to her was infected with her heresies came to boston and were there sent for to come before the governor and council but they refused to come except they were brought so the officer led them and being come there were diverse of the elders present he was charged with a letter he had written to some in our jurisdiction wherein he charged all our churches and ministers to be anti-christian and many other reproachful speeches terming our king king of babylon and sought to possess the people's heart with evil thoughts of our government and of our churches etc he acknowledged the letter and maintained what he had written yet sought to evade by confessing there was a true magistracy in the world and that christians must be subject to it he maintained also that there were no gentile churches as he termed them since the apostles times and that none could now ordain ministers etc francis hutchinson did agree with him in some of these but not resolutely in all but he had reviled the church of boston being then a member of it calling her a strumpet they were both committed to prison and it fell out that one stoddard being then one of the constables of boston was required to take francis hutchinson into his custody till the afternoon and said withal to the governor sir i came to observe what you did that if you should proceed with a brother otherwise than you ought i might deal with you in a church way for this insolent behavior he was committed but being dealt with by the elders and others he came to see his error which was that he did conceive that the magistrate ought not to deal with a member of the church before the church had proceeded with him so the next lord's day in the open assembly he did freely and very affectionately confess his error and his contempt of authority and being bound to appear at the next court he did the like there to the satisfaction of all yet for example's sake he was fined twenty shillings which thought some of the magistrates would have had it much less or rather remitted seeing his clear repentance and satisfaction in public left no poison or danger in his example nor had the commonwealth or any person sustained danger by it 
At the same court, Mr. Collins was fined 100 pounds and Francis Hutchinson 50 pounds, and to remain in prison till they gave security for it. We assessed the fines the higher, partly that by occasion thereof they might be the longer kept in from doing harm, for they were kept close prisoners, and also because that family had put the country to so much charge in the Senate and other occasions to the value of 500 pounds at least. But after, because the winter drew on, and the prison was inconvenient, we abated them to forty pounds and twenty pounds. But they seemed not willing to pay anything. They refused to come to the church assemblies except they were led, and so they came duly. At last we took their own bonds for their fine, and so dismissed them. Footnote. From the colony records, it appears that Collins and Francis Hutchinson were forbidden to return to the colony on pain of death. In footnote. Other troubles arose in the island by reason of one Nicholas Easton, a tanner, a man very bold, though ignorant. He used to teach at Newport, where Mr. Coddington, their governor, lived, maintained that man hath no power or will in himself, but as he is acted by God, and seeing that God filled all things, nothing could be or move but by him, and so he must needs be the author of sin, etc., and that a Christian is united to the essence of God. Being showed what blasphemous consequences would follow hereupon, they professed to abhor the consequences, but still defended the propositions, which discovered their ignorance, not apprehending how God could make a creature as it were in himself, and yet no part of his essence, as we see by familiar instances. The light is in the air, and in every part of it, yet it is not air, but a distinct thing from it. They're joined with Nicholas Easton, Mr. Coddington, Mr. Coggeshall, footnote, all three of the men were of high repute in civil life, each serving his colony as governor, in footnote, and some others, but their minister, Mr. Clark, and Mr. Linthal, and Mr. Harding, and some others dissented and publicly opposed, whereby it grew to such heat of contention that it made a schism among them. Month 7, September. Captain Underhill, coming to Boston, was presently apprehended by the governor's warrant to appear at the next court, and bound for his good behavior in the meantime, which was ill taken by many, seeing he did not stand presented by any man, and had been reconciled to the church and to the court, who had remitted his sentence of banishment, and showed their willingness to have him pardon him fully, but for fear of offense. And it was held by some of the magistrates that the court, having reversed the sentence against him for former misdemeanors, had implicitly pardoned all other misdemeanors before that time, and his adultery was no more than but a misdemeanor. But to bind a man to his good behavior, when he stands reconciled to the church and commonwealth, was certainly an error, as it was also to commit such an one, being not presented nor accused. So easily may a magistrate be misled on the right hand by the secret whisperings of such as pretend a zeal of justice and the punishment of sin. The governor caused him to be indicted at the next court, but he was acquitted by proclamation. Month 7, September 11th. It being court time, about seven or eight in the evening, there appeared to the southward a great light, about thirty or forty feet in length. It went very swift, and continued about a minute. It was observed by many in the bay, and at Plymouth and New Haven, etc., and it seemed to all to be in the same position. Fifteenth, a great training at Boston two days. About one thousand two hundred men were exercised in most sorts of land service. Yet it was observed that there was no man drunk, though there was plenty of wine and strong beer in the town, not an oath sworn, no quarrel, nor any hurt done. The Parliament in England, falling so readily to reform all public grievances, some of our people being then in London preferred a petition to the Lord's House for redress of that restraint which had been put upon ships and passengers to New England, whereupon an order was made that we should enjoy all our liberties, etc., according to our patent, whereby our patent, which had been condemned and called in upon an erroneous judgment in a quo warranto, was now implicitly revived and confirmed. 
This petition was preferred without warrant from our court. 7. September 2nd. A day of thanksgiving was kept in all our churches for the good success of the Parliament in England. This year, men followed the fishing so well that there was about 300,000 dry fish sent to the market. The lords and gentlemen that had two patents at Pascataquack, finding no means to govern their people there, nor to restrain them from spoiling their timber, etc., agreed to assign their interests to us, reserving the greatest part of the propriety of their lands. So commissioners being sent thither, the whole river agreed to come under our jurisdiction under two propositions. First, if we took them in upon a voluntary submission, then they would have liberty to choose their own magistrates, etc. Second, if we took them in as being within the line of our patent, they would then submit to be as Ipswich and Salem, etc., and would have such liberties for felling timber, etc., as they had enjoyed, etc., and so referred it to the next general court, and to have courts there as Ipswich and Salem had. And accordingly, at the general court in the third month next, they sent two deputies, who, being members of the church there, were sworn freemen, an order made for giving the oath to others at their own court, the like liberty to other courts for ease of the people. Footnote. An important crisis both for Massachusetts and the New Hampshire settlements. In footnote. Month 9, November 8th. Monsieur Rocher, a Rocheller and a Protestant, came from Monsieur Latour, planted upon St. John's River up the Great Bay on this side Cape Sable. He brought no letters with him, but only letters from Mr. Shirt of Pimiquid, where he left his men and boat. He propounded to us, one, liberty of free commerce, this was granted, two, assistance with de Alny of Penobscot, whom he had war with, third, that he might make return of goods out of England by our merchants. In these two we excused any treaty with him, as having no letters or commission from Latour. He was courteously entertained here, and after a few days departed. Footnote. On Latour and de Alny, see volume 1, page 163, note 1. 9. Query whether the following be fit to be published. The governor, Mr. Bellingham, was married. I would not mention such ordinary matters in our history, but by occasion of some remarkable accidents. The young gentlewoman was ready to be contracted to a friend of his, who lodged in his house, and by his consent had proceeded so far with her, when on the sudden the governor treated with her, and obtained her for himself. He excused it by the strength of his affection, and that she was not absolutely promised to the other gentleman. Two errors more he committed upon it. One, that he would not have his contract published where he dwelt, contrary to an order of the court. Second, that he married himself contrary to the constant practice of the country. The great inquest presented him for breach of the order of court, and at the court following in the fourth month the secretary called him to answer the prosecution. But he was not going off the bench, as the manner was, and but few of the magistrates present, he put it off to another time, intending to speak with him privately, and with the rest of the magistrates about the case, and accordingly he told him the reason why he did not proceed, viz., being unwilling to command him publicly to go off the bench, and yet not thinking it fit he should sit as a judge, when he was by law to answer as an offender. This he took ill, and said he would not go off the bench, except he were commanded. Footnote. After such an experience of Bellingham, it is not strange that the colony should restore its chief dignity to Winthrop once more in May, 1642. In footnote. Archibald Thompson of Marblehead, carrying dung to his ground in a canoe upon the Lord's Day, in fair weather and still water, it sunk under him in the harbor near the shores, and he was never seen after. One nor of Charleston, coming down mystic in a small boat laden with wood, was found dead in it, a good caveat for men not to go single in boats in such season of the years, for it was very stormy weather.
9. November 12th. A great tempest of wind and rain from the southeast all the night, as fierce as in a hurricane. It continued very violent at northwest all the day after. Diverse boats and one bark were cast away in the harbor, but, which was a wonder to all, no dwelling house blown down, nor any person killed, and the day after it came to southeast again, and continued all the night with much wind and rain, and thereupon, it being about the new moon, followed the highest tide which we had seen since our arrival here. The summer past was very cool and wet, so as much Indian corn never ripened, they some stood till the twentieth of this month. It was observed that people who fed upon that corn were extraordinarily infected with worms in their bodies all the year following, which in some was well prevented by leaving their bread and feeding upon salt fish. The trials of Dartmouth of four hundred tons, lying at Pascataquac to take in pipe staves, was forced from her anchors in the last tempest and driven upon the rocks, yet all her masts were before taken down to be new-masted. There rode by her a small ship which was safe. This small ship was before despised by the men of the greater, and they would needs unrig their ship upon the Lord to stay, though they were admonished not to do it. In the same great tempest a shallop of three tons rode it out all night at the head of Cape Ann, and came in safe after. Mr. Stephen Batchelor, the pastor of the church at Hampton, who had suffered much at the hands of the bishops in England, being about eighty years of age, and having a lusty, comely woman to his wife, did solicit the chastity of his neighbor's wife, who acquainted her husband therewith, whereupon he was dealt with, but denied it, as he had told the woman he would do it, and complained to the magistrates against the woman and her husband for slandering him. The church likewise dealing with him, he stiffly denied it, but soon after, when the Lord's Supper was to be administered, he did voluntarily confess the attempt, and that he did intend to have defiled her, if she would have consented. The church, being moved with his free confession and tears, silently forgave him and communicated with him, but after, finding how scandalous it was, they took advice of other elders, and after long debate and much pleading and standing upon the church's forgiving and being reconciled to him and communicating with him after he had confessed it, they proceeded to cast him out. After this he went on in a variable course, sometimes seeming very penitent, soon after again excusing himself and casting blame upon others, especially his fellow elder Mr. Dalton, who indeed had not carried himself in this cause so well as became him, and was brought to see his failing, and acknowledged it to the elders of the other churches, who had taken much pains about this matter. So he behaved himself to the elders when they dealt with him. He was off and on for a long time, and when he had seemed most penitent, so as the church were ready to have received him in again, he would fall back again, and, as it were, repent of his repentance. In this time his house and near all his substance was consumed by fire. When he had continued excommunicated near two years, and much agitation had been about the matter, and the church being divided, so as he could not be received in, at length the matter was referred to some magistrates and elders, and by their mediation he was released of his excommunication, but not received to his pastor's office. Upon occasion of this meeting for mediation, Mr. Wilson, pastor of Boston, wrote this letter to him. The letter is worthy inserting. Footnote. It is not preserved. Several pages of Winthrop's text are here omitted. In footnote. The general court held in the tenth month past was full of uncomfortable agitations and contentions. The principal occasion, for history must tell the whole truth, was from the governor, who being a gentleman of good repute in England for wisdom and godliness, finding now that some other of the magistrates bear more sway with the people than himself, and that they were called to be of the standing council for life, and himself passed by, was so taken with an evil spirit of emulation and jealousy, through his melancholic disposition, 
as he set himself in an opposite frame to them in all proceedings, which did much retard all business, and was occasion of grief to many godly minds, and matter of reproach to the whole court in the mouths of others, and brought himself low in the eyes of those with whom formerly he had been in honor. Some instances I will give. There fell out a case between Mr. Dudley, one of the council, and Mr. Howe, a ruling elder of the church of Watertown, about a title to a mill. The case is too long here to report, but it was so clear on Mr. Dudley's part, both in law and equity, most of the magistrates also and deputies concurring therein, as the elders being desired to be present at the hearing of the case, they also consented with the judgment of the court before the case was put to vote, and some of them humbly advised the court that it would be greatly to their dishonor and an apparent injustice if they should otherwise determine notwithstanding he still labored to have the cause carried against mr dudley reproved some of the elders for their faithful advice took upon him to answer all the arguments but so weakly as many were ashamed at it and in reading an order of court whereupon the issue of the case chiefly depended he sought to help himself by such unworthy shifts as interpreting some things against the very letter and common sense wholly omitting the most material part etc refusing to put things to the vote that were made against his purpose etc that all might see by what spirit he was led another case fell out about mr maverick of noddles island who had been formerly fined one hundred pounds for giving entertainment to mr owen and one hale's wife who had escaped out of prison where they had been put for notorious suspicion of adultery footnote maverick it must be supposed believed the parties innocent he was of a bold as well as humane spirit and ready to suffer while sheltering those whom he thought persecuted in footnote as well after be showed the court upon his petition had referred it to the usual committee who made return that their opinion was the court might do well to remit it to sixty pounds which he knew would please some of the council well who had often declared their judgment that fine should be so imposed as they might upon occasion be moderated so when the petition was returned to him he takes it and alters the sum from sixty pounds to eighty pounds without acquainting the court therewith nor would say that he had done it when the committee informed the court of the alteration before the secretary charged him with it then he said he did it in jest and when the secretary said he had reformed it and the court called to have it put to the vote he refused and stirred up much heat and contention about it so in the end the court required the deputy to put it up to the vote upon these and other miscarriages the deputies consulted together and sent up their speaker footnote at this period magistrates and deputies sat together in the general court the governor or deputy governor presiding the division into two bodies had not yet taken place savage underspans by speaker here a temporary spokesman in footnote with some others to give him a solemn admonition which was never done to any governor before nor was it in their power without the magistrates had joined these continual oppositions and delays tending to the hindrance and perverting of justice afforded much occasion of grief to all the magistrates especially to mr dudley who being a very wise and just man and one that would not be trodden under foot of any man took occasion alleging his age etc to tell the court that he was resolved to leave his place and therefore desired them against the next court of elections to think of some other the court was much affected with it and entreated him with manifestation of much affection and respect towards him to leave off those thoughts and offered him any ease and liberty that his age and infirmities might stand in need of but he continued resolute thereupon the governor also made a speech as if he desired to leave his place of magistracy also but he was fain to make his own answer for no man desired him to keep or to consider better for it footnote bellingham's unpopularity was plainly well deserved in footnote 
This session continued three weeks and established a hundred laws which were called the Body of Liberties. Footnote. For the Body of Liberties, prefaced by a learned and copious introduction by Francis C. Gray, see Collections of Massachusetts Historical Society, 3rd Series, Volume 8, page 191. Also Whitmore, The Colonial Laws of Massachusetts, Boston, 1889, Old South Leaflets, number 164, and American History Leaflets, number 25. In footnote. They had been composed by Mr. Nathaniel Ward, sometime pastor of the Church of Ipswich. He had been a minister in England and formerly a student and practicer in the course of the common law, and had been revised and altered by the court and sent forth into every town to be further considered of, and now again in this court they were revised, amended, and presented, and so established for three years by that experience to have them fully amended and established to be perpetual. At this session, Mr. Hawthorne, one of the deputies, and usually one of their speakers, made a motion to some other of the deputies of leaving out two of their ancientest magistrates because they were grown poor and spake reproachfully of them under that motion. This coming to Mr. Cotton, his knowledge, he took occasion from his text the next lecture day to confute and sharply, in his mild manner, to reprove such miscarriage which he termed a slighting or dishonoring of parents, and told the country that such as were decayed in their estates by attending the service of the country ought to be maintained by the country and not set aside for their poverty, being otherwise so well gifted and approved by long experience to be faithful. This public reproof gave such a cheek to the former motion that it was never revived after, yet by what followed it appeared that the fire, from which it broke out, was only raked up, not quenched, as will be shown anon. Mr. Hawthorne, footnote, William Hawthorne, or Hawthorne, a leader in Salem till near the end of the century, was first speaker of the deputies, after the separation of the general court into two bodies, presently to be described. He was the ancestor of Nathaniel Hawthorne. The deputy governor mentioned was John Endicott. In footnote, and some others were very earnest to have some certain penalty set upon lying, swearing, etc., which the deputy and some other of the magistrates opposed, not disliking to have laws made against these or any other offenses, but in respect of the certain punishment. Whereupon Mr. Hathorne charged him with seeking to have the government arbitrary, etc., and the matter grew to some heat, for the deputy was a wise and stout gentleman, and knew Mr. Hathorne his neighbor well, but the strife soon fell, and there was no more spoken of it that court. Yet this gave occasion to some of the magistrates to prepare some arguments against the course intended of bringing all punishments to a certainty. The scope of these reasons was to make good this proposition, viz. All punishments, except such as are made certain in the law of God, or are not subject to variation by merit of circumstances, ought to be left arbitrary to the wisdom of the judges. Reason 1. God hath left a pattern himself in his word, where a few penalties are prescribed, and so many referred to the judges, and God himself varieth the punishments of the same offenses, as the offenses vary in the circumstances, as in manslaughter, in the case of a riotous son proved incorrigible, in the same sin aggravated by presumption, theft, etc., which are not only rules in these particular cases, but to guide the judges by proportion in all other cases. As upon the law of adultery, it may be a question whether Bathsheba ought to die by that law, in regard to the great temptation, and the command and power of the kings of Israel. So that which was capital in the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Judges chapter 21, verse 10, and not coming up to the princes upon proclamation, was but confiscation of goods, etc., in Ezra 10, 8. See Second Samuel, chapter 14, 6, and 11. Reason 2. All punishments ought to be just, and offenses varying so much in their merit by occasion of circumstances, 
it would be unjust to inflict the same punishment upon the least as upon the greatest. Third, justice requireth that every cause should be heard before it is judged, which cannot be when the sentence and punishment is determined beforehand. Fourth, such parts and gifts as the word of God requires in a judge were not so necessary if all punishments were determined beforehand. Fifth, God hath not confined all wisdom, etc., to any one generation that they should set rules for all others to walk by. Sixth, it is against reason that some men should better judge of the merit of a cause and the bare theory thereof than others, as wide as ungodly, should be able to discern of it pro renata. Seventh, difference of times, places, etc., may aggravate or extenuate some offenses. Eighth, we must trust God who can and will provide his wise and righteous judgment for his people in time to come, as in the present or for past times, and we should not attempt the limiting of his providence and frustrating the gifts of others by determining all punishments, etc. Objection. In theft and some other cases, as cases capital, God hath prescribed a certain punishment. Answer 1. In theft, etc., the law respects the damage and injury of the party, which is still one and the same, though circumstances may aggravate or extenuate the sin. Second, in capital cases, death is appointed as the highest degree of punishment which man's justice can reach. Objection. Then we might as well leave all laws arbitrary at the discretion of the judge. Answer 1. The reason is not like. First, God gave a certain law where he left the punishment arbitrary, so as we have a clear rule to guide the law where the punishment may be uncertain. The varying of the offense in the circumstance does not vary the ground or equity of the law, nor the nature of the guilt, as it doth the measure of the reward. He is as fully guilty of theft who steals a loaf of bread for his hunger as he that steals an horse for his pleasure. Objection. The statutes in England set down a certain penalty for most offenses. Answer 1. We are not bound to make such examples ourselves. Second, the penalty, commonly, is not so much as the least degree of that offense deserves. Twelve pence for an oath, five shillings for drunkenness, etc. End of section 14, 1641.